I still feel like she's not gotten nearly as much work as she should. Now I've said it on the track. We're talking about Michelle Rodriguez here. Yeah, well, she was one of my, like, original waifus. Yeah. Um, Based. Yes. I also looked up to her. I didn't know if I wanted to be her or be with her. Turns out it was both. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Her muscles are very impressive. Dude, her shoulders in this movie were insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. To die for. Yes. I think she's my favorite character. I mean, she was just so good. Yeah. She had like, she was like a complex barbarian. I loved it. Okay. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my draconic co-hosts. Oh, draconic. Iconic. Iconically <laughs> draconic. <laughs> my name's Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them. And today I am a half-orc. Slice of life baker. Today and every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's true. That's like my favorite race to be in D&D when we play. And um, I am a baker, so it works. And then they've stopped using race in D&D. There's like a new, uh, there's a new word for it now, right? Really? I thought there was. Interesting. Anyways, that's awesome. It could be like, what heritage are you from? I think it might be heritage. Yeah, I can see that. That works. I need to read up on modern D and D. It's been but, like um, three years. I, I'm practically like out of touch with the entire role playing community. Is this what you role playing <laughs> kids do these days? <laughs> but uh, you know, it can get pretty exciting around here. Some of my favorite things to make, and what I'm best known for, are scones. Ooh, delicious. And cookies. Two of my favorite things to eat, so this relationship is going to work out real well. (laughs) Yay! That's great. I love that. I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all. I'll take whatever you got. And uh, I'm just a little guy. Oh? Just a little guy. Nothing more, nothing less. An imp, even. Wow. Just, you know, just a little guy from the nine hells. Okay, I'm listening. Up to mischief, up to no good, making contracts. They're totally fine. You're lawful. Lawful, just a little guy. You just have to make sure you read every clause to make sure that you're in accordance with the entire contract. Well, you can. Yeah, I don't mind if you just skim the contract. 
that you sign. I don't mind. <laughs> just just make sure you read the Santa Claus. You know, I think That's I've right. seen a lot of your contracts in some of the apps I have on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the digital age. Let's just say we we love it. Yeah. <laughs> Belial is all about it. I got to be honest. I, I, I just skimmed to the bottom and then hit continue. Oh, man. We love that. We love that so much. <laughs> Huh, figured- that's funny. I didn't remember selling my soul to 37 different corporations. <laughs> Have you ever signed up for any social media platform? Uh, unfortunately, yes. They've sold your information to the lords of hell. <laughs> that explains a lot, oh, actually. Yeah, it does. I've been getting advertisements for Brimstone. Yeah, uh, there's lots of that, uh, depending on the layer you go to. Yeah. Otherwise, you get Brim Ice. <laughs> oh well maybe i'll have to read it more closely it's just like i don't have a spare like several hours every day to go through that it's already too late oh shit (laughs) well guys you don't need a contract to be on this podcast well that's good (laughs) (laughs) and we've already sold our souls so why don't we tell the listeners what we're going to be talking about today we're talking about the new D&D movie, Honor Among Thieves. That's right. We have covered at least one other D&D movie before. Yep. That was, uh, I'm sure it was great. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. But this new D&D movie is out. We've skipped two other D&D movies that came in between. It's okay. We don't have to go in any particular order. No. I mean, we wanted to strike while the uh, anvil was hot or something. Yeah. Yes. Iron even. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we had a whole satirist outing and everything to the theater. That's right. We went to the beloved Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, California. I always love going there because it's, it's a cool old theater. We made the staff nervous by asking for the poop corn. <laughs> That's why they were giving us the weird stink eye. I'm still used to interacting with people in public after quarantining for so long during the pandemic. I'm still very awkward about it. Yeah, before you were like super smooth. No, <laughs> but I'm just, I I still am like haltingly trying to get through it. Like, I don't know what I want. <laughs> and, they, and it's funny because at the Grand Lake, they basically have popcorn and soda. Yeah. If anyone initiates conversation that I didn't start, just like the Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park, you frill up and you spit your venom at them. <laughs> that explains it, yeah. Oh, yeah. That. yeah. Maybe that's why they were giving us stink guy. Yeah. But so, guys, let's talk about the turkey. Let's talk turkey. Yeah. Get down to the stats. Ooh. All right. So, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves is a 2023 movie directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. It stars Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, and Sophia Lillis. But before we share our valuable opinions with this movie, I think we should probably summarize some of the broad strokes for people.
so we have a magical heist movie. Oh, love it already. But it starts out as a narrative flashback of the two main characters who are in jail at an appeal hearing trying to get out. That's right. They're in a prison in Icewind Dale because this movie is set in the Forgotten Realms, yeah. a D&D setting I know way too much about. It's great. That's right. So they bust out of that jail. <laughs> in one of the most important scenes in filmmaking, <laughs> in filmmaking history. They ride a poor Eric Cockra out a window. Named, his name is Jonathan. And, um, Counselor Jonathan, please. Yeah. And For those of you who don't know, Eric Cockra are a humanoid bird species. 30-year lifespan. Yes. <laughs> They ride this poor... You have to live every year to the fullest. Moss. Yes. Yeah. They ride this poor bird man up into the hills and then skid to a halt on the ground. They check his pulse. He's not dead. Poor Jonathan. That's right. Step one, get freedom. Step two, reunite with your daughter who you haven't seen in years. Yeah. Two years. But uh uh-oh, you've been double-crossed. Triple crossed, even. Triple. Maybe double crossed. I'm not sure anymore. That's right. What is it when you're betrayed by two people? A bad day. Quadruple crossed. A bad day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Turns out that one of their former uh, party members, Forge. Played by Hugh Grant. Double crossed them. And then the people we're talking about here, the main characters are Edgin, who's like a bard. Yeah, sure. Played by Chris Pine. He plays a lute. And Holga, a barbarian badass, played by Michelle Rodriguez. And then the crowd cheers. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, And so their former party member, Forge, has been raising Edgen's daughter, Kira, and uh, turns out he double-crossed them and told a bunch of lies to Kira about them. That's right. Gatekeep Gaslight him boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And he is now about to be crowned the Lord of Neverwinter. That's right. A very important so- uh, a very important sword. A very important city on the sword coast of Faerun. Because, again, this is the Forgotten Realms. That's right. But he's not working alone. He has the help of a mysterious wizard, which... Got them arrested in the first place. With a time spell. That's right. The wizard Safina used time stop, froze the party in place, and screwed them over real good. Cringe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They tried to have them beheaded again, but they get out of it. (laughs) Because Holga is an absolute unit who just destroys the guards. And they want to put together... Doing praxis. Yes. (laughs) With a brick. (laughs) (laughs) A-gab, guys. A-gab. All guards are bastards. Assigned guard at birth. (laughs) So they decide to get an adventuring party together to put together a little heist. So is what we're gonna need. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they assemble some people they used to know from the past. Their friend... A wild magic sorcerer named Simon. That's right. 
He just needs to believe in himself a little bit. But it's going to take probably the rest of the movie for that to happen. <laughs> That's right. He has magic powers and low self-esteem. <laughs> but Simon also knows that they're going to need at least one more powerful caster. They need somebody who can do wild shape. And that's when they head off to meet the druid Doric. That's right. She has allied herself with an elven commune who took her in after she was rejected by her human parents. She's a tiefling, which is a human with a little bit of devil splashed in there. Yeah, just a little devil for flavor. And she wants to oppose Forge because he's cutting down the forest and they need to stop him. Damn right. That's right. And with their badass team assembled, they come up with a badass scheme. A badass scheme for a badass team. They know that the vault in Castle Neverwinter is guarded by magical wards, and they need to get past them. And so they want to find this helmet that will help them undo all magical creations within a certain radius. That's right. The Helm of Disjunction, a classic D&D artifact. That's right. But in order to get such an artifact, they need to get the help of a holy paladin. Zank. Only thing is, some of the party has biases against where the paladin is from. Oh, that's right. We have not yet talked about Thay. Yeah. The undead nation of the Forgotten Realms, led by the generally portrayed as very um, personable necromancer Lich, Zaz Tam, who in this movie is just kind of a shadowy figure who wants to kill everybody, but in the Richard Lee Byers books is portrayed as a, again, very agreeable, lawful, evil killing machine, who I absolutely adore. Lawful. He's lawful. We don't get a lot of his personality in this film, but I was super stoked when I realized it was Zaz Tam. Pretty hype. So they find their new paladin friend, Zenk. He kind of rubs some of the party members the wrong way, but he's well known throughout the lands and he actually is a badass. And really friendly and helpful. (laughs) That's right. He's so friendly and helpful, he leads them into the Underdark. Oh, God. An incredibly dangerous cave system that runs throughout the underground of the world. Yeah. But he knows where the helmet is down there. Because he put it there. So he leads them through, but uh uh-oh. Dragon appears. Yay, dragon. And this is the gosh darn cutest dragon you've ever seen. Yep. Friend of the show, Casey Cannon, who saw the film with us, wanted us to make sure that everyone is aware of how gosh darn cute this dragon is. That's right. Simply adorable. He does everything just right. He eats all the bad guys and he completely corners and tries to drown the good guys. Yeah. Well, they blow up the cavern and swim up through an ocean to escape. That's right. The party is aware that explosions when you're in water with them are totally okie dokie. Sorry, guys. I understand how science works. So they have the helmet, right? Zenk leaves the party. He's like, my work is done here. He walks off in a perfectly straight line. (laughs) Simon has trouble attuning to the helmet, and they think their plan isn't going to work, and everybody's kind of having a dark moment, a dark night of the soul. A very brief dark night of the soul that lasts for literally not even long enough for anybody to actually walk away. They come up with a plan B to 
use this artifact they figured out they have. Hither, thither. Yeah. A staff that makes portals. And they use that to put a portal in one of the artifacts that's going to be going into the vault. Um, That plan doesn't go quite according to plan. So they have to come up with a plan C, D, E. They kind of just wing it from there. But plan C is just plan A over again. Yeah. But plan A had some stink in it. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, have we talked about the fact that Edgin is trying to resurrect his dead wife at all? And that the whole reason he got in the heist was to find a magical artifact that could bring back somebody who was killed by a Thean blade? No. Well, now we have. (laughs) That's one of the big motivators. (laughs) And it's supposed to be in the Neverwinter vault. That's right. Because Forge took it. When he double-crossed Edgin and Holga. That's right. Through complications, Doric manages to use the portal to get into the vault. And Simon manages to finally use the helm. They both get into the vault, but uh uh-oh. They're they're two different vaults. Two vaults. It's what I call the old double vault trick. It was also all a trap. Mm Mm-hmm. They're put into, like, some gladiatorial games that Forge was reinstating in the city. And um, so long and short of it is they, like, craftily figure their way out of it, past some displacer beasts, which is pretty exciting. And a gelatinous cube. Not past a gelatinous cube, but through it. (laughs) Yeah, they get singed a little bit. Um, Also, all along the way, the audience knows that Safina is actually... Also a red wizard of Thay who is trying to bring Zaz Tam into Neverwinter and turn all the people there into the undead thralls of Thay. Yep. Thay and thralls. It's an unliving. Yeah. So the party is able to escape. They find the ship that Forge had put all of the treasure onto, including the artifact that would bring Edgin's wife back. Um, and they managed to get Kira with them. And uh, they're sailing away, but then they see all this crazy shit happening over the arena and realize that Zaz Tam is about to fuck everybody. They're just tendrils of darkness descending from the sky to turn everyone into the living dead. I don't know why they freak out so bad. Uh, they go back, set up... Uh, An elaborate redistribution of wealth. Yeah. And so they lure most of the public away from the arena into safety. And uh, they have a showdown with Sophina, uh, which is pretty great. And they actually all work together really well to defeat her. Yeah. And um, Doric, as an owlbear, kind of beats her into the ground a little bit. It's kind of funny. Yeah, but unfortunately, during the melee, Holga was stabbed with a Thean blade, the same type of blade that killed Elgin's wife, a wound that cannot be healed by divine magic. And so she dies. And in a moment of like difficult hesitation, Edgin and Kira kind of look at each other. They kind of know like they can only use the relic once to bring somebody back from the dead. And Kira's like, use it. The whole time, Edgin has been talking about how they're going to use the relic to bring back Kira's mother. And turns out, because Kira's mother died while she was still an infant, and in many ways she was raised by Holga, turns out in the end, they do just that. Yeah, they bring Holga back, and you realize that 
The family you need is the family you made along the way. <laughs> That's right. Our real family were the friends we made along the way. There you go. Wait, that actually works perfectly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's what happens in the movie. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. So, guys, it's a D and D. It is a D and D. This yep. is absolutely a D and D. It is, it is blatant. Yes. At the core of every D&D is the party. That's, That's right. right. The most important element of any D&D yes. is the people. That's right. So as the face of the party, we've got Edgin. Chris Pine. Edgin. Edgin. Now, I'm thinking bard, thinking rogue. I'm thinking rogue. They call him a bard. Yeah, he's... He's a harper in the beginning. Now, a harper, of course, is a member of a discreet organization of good adventurers who try to undermine evil organizations throughout the Forgotten Realms and usually do it with a flair and a panache and kind of an inquisitive, mystery-solving kind of style. Yeah, they're kind of like spies. Yeah, they're like spies and detectives that kind of like work subtly, like rebelliously against unlawful organizations or evil organizations. Fucking love the Harpers. Really great. Really awesome. So he's the face of the party, yes. right? You've got the face. You've got the spellcaster for when you need something spicy. That's right. Because you so can't that's... do things normal. So that's Simon. <laughs> that's Simon. And they're always telling him to solve things with magic. It's that's great. right. You've got your arcane caster. <laughs> I love the line where he's like, you can't just solve everything with magic. This is the real world. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, the, the, the script is so beautifully self-aware. Yeah. Yes. But so a wild mage, for those of you, we're going to have to fill in a lot of blanks for our listeners who are not familiar with the game world. Wild mages are sorcerers which means they don't cast with their intelligence, but they cast with their force of personality. But sometimes they can't control what happens. So when they cast spells, sometimes shit gets weird. It's like if you tried to move your arm and then instead your body exploded. <laughs> destroyed everything in 30 feet. Classic sorcerer move. Yes. I've played a wild mage before. It usually is not very well respected. <laughs> <laughs> no and neither is Simon. <laughs> no one appreciates the magic I do for them. No yeah. one appreciates the chaos you do for them. Exactly. Embrace the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got our face. We've got our caster. That's right. And but Holga is the barbarian. She's the... Uh... That's the muscle. Yeah. That's right. They hurt people with their body. That's right. And they can feel rage <laughs> that That's right. fuels them. They get angry and they use their body to hurt other bodies. <laughs> and sometimes a brick. That's right. And sometimes a really cool axe. Yeah. So I think she had improvised weapon. Oh, absolutely. She had uh, 
throw anything, improvise wep- or, uh, improvise weapons, uh, brawling style. Yeah, yeah. And she had the background barbarian tribe member. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How many times have we said that's right? We say it all the fucking time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> she left her tribe to be with her lover, a halfling, that's- Bradley Cooper. An amazing backstory. But she couldn't get over the grief of losing her tribe, and it estranged her from her partner. Yeah. Now, halflings are off-brand hobbits. Yeah, they're little wholesome guys. Yeah. And not British imperialists. Correct. And so that's Holga. (laughs) And then they have their divine caster, Doric. Who doesn't really cast spells? No. We've got now D and D druids have the ability to change their shape into animal forms. That's wild shape, and they can usually cast spells. Doric doesn't really have any spell casting that we see in this movie. I don't think. No, which is why it's a little vague which edition of Dungeons and Dragons they're using. Fair, because in previous editions, druids could turn into owl bears, but not in the newer one unless you're a moon druid. And you were saying, Jack, that some of your friends mentioned that bards in older editions didn't have magic. They were mostly just inspirational song singers. Yeah, I mean, we all have those songs that hype us up. Yeah. Get you ready to, like, kill a skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Edgen does that just fine. I love the scene when Dork is introduced. Simon recognizes her right away, but Edgen and Holga can't tell where she is. They think she's the person that's being persecuted by some of Forge's men and who's about to be executed against a tree. A forest elf. Yes. Or a wood elf. And he's like, no, 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 that's not Dork. That's Dork. And you see one of the horses that one of the men was riding morphing into an owlbear. I just have to say how clever it is that she disguised herself as a horse. Yeah, this is some real D&D party. Like, okay, how do your characters like infiltrate the bad guys? Like, oh, uh, the druid becomes a horse. Like, perfect. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, an owl bear is exactly what it sounds like. That's it right. is more bear than owl. Yeah. And if you need, like, reference for a person turning into animals, uh, Greek mythology True. Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> Another wholesome character. Um, Incredible. They use Doric's abilities a lot throughout the movie. Yeah, Wild Shape is carrying a lot of the film. She turns into a fly. She turns into a mouse. She's a fly on the wall. She's a literal fly on the wall. Spying on the villains. She becomes a worm in one of the tensest (laughs) moments in filmmaking history. And the worm just best, best wild shape being a worm. Oh, incredible. She uses the owlbear again when fighting Safina at the end. Great choice. Killing she kills Sophina as the owl bear. If you remember the scene where Hulk just slams Loki into the floor like a rag doll, that's effectively what Doric does to Safina. It's 
Um, <laughs> it's very satisfying after like a long battle. It's satisfying and upsetting in a shocking way that makes you laugh. <laughs> That's right. She just throws her like a discarded rag into a like the side of a building. Yes. <laughs> Think of the Hulk and Loki or Bane and that guy in the Dark Knight Rises. Do you feel in control? I don't remember right? that. What happens? It's it's just the archetypal scene of arrogant person meets threateningly muscular person. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that. It's exactly that. All and right. we get that. And so what? that's a D&D party. Well-rounded. Yeah. Dex, I- strength, int, and whiz. And charisma. Yeah. That's right. I love this movie because I'm preempting this a little bit, but like... Cass, come on. We're not even at the rating. We don't rate it anymore. <laughs> um, so it's so well done because they actually like cared about this movie, right? <laughs> um, like more effort right. was put into the <laughs> script. But like the whole world takes itself seriously in the moments when it matters and doesn't in the moments when it makes it funny. Just like a good D&D game. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so it really feels like some of the decisions that the adventuring party in the movie makes would be what players would do in a D&D world that they're playing in. Yeah, I've seen some people being like, oh, it's just another movie trying to be a Marvel movie. I'm like, no, this is perfectly capturing what it feels like to play D&D, where you go between these moments of, like, emotional gravity and then just, like, absurd decision-making. Like, if anything, (laughs) this fits the medium so much better for a D&D film because this is what a D&D game plays out like. Yes. Exactly. D&D is a game. You do it with your friends to be silly and have fun and to role play. Yeah. And so it goes between serious and funny. And that's just great. You can tell emotional stories that have like, you know, big emotional beats where People around the table are laughing and crying and, like, experiencing things. And then you just decide, like, yeah, we're going to send our druid in as a horse to then morph into an owlbear and smash a bunch of guards. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's silly and it's fun. And it reflects the fact that it's a game in, like, several scenes. One of which, which is, like, noticeably hilarious is when they use the talk with dead spell. Oh, my God. It's a really good scene. They're this in a is graveyard. this is the Citizen Kane of role playing movies. It's <laughs> I don't know. What that it means. is silly serious because these are Holga's ancestors, right? That they are gray. They're digging up. They're from exhuming their graves. It felt exactly like how this might go with a group of people sitting around a table trying to play a game. Yes. Yeah, and so they bring up the corpses. You speak with dead, so you resurrect a body. And you get to ask it five questions. And they're like, why five? That feels arbitrary. It's because they're balancing it for game purposes. Yeah. And just in world, they're like, why is it like that? Yeah, they're like pointing out the absurdity of some of the D&D rules that are like, yes, as a game system, it makes sense to put these boundaries on. As a storytelling system, you might have these questions, but they run with it and they make it 
a scene that's completely ridiculous and also like an important driver of plot. Yeah. Like they go to get this information and they unpack the story of this battle where the helm of disjunction was lost by Holga's people. And they have to exhume like 10 corpses to figure it out. Cause they keep fucking up or finding people that only have part of the story. Yeah, and that feels like a good DM would do that, right? Like, you can't just be like, oh, we're going to pull out a corpse and it's going to know exactly the information we need. So, like, that scene was really funny and silly because they... They were asking the corpses, like, oh, you have to ask the questions or they stay alive. And that's yeah. probably not a nice thing to do, right? So it's like, oh, do you like cats? And they're like, not really. You <laughs> know, back to death. That's yeah. just really funny. Because sometimes they would find out all they needed from one of them in, like, one or two questions. And they yes. end up leaving one poor, poor <laughs> corpse with one unanswered question. And he's just like, well, shit. <laughs> but then later... Olga references that scene twice where it's like, we can't back out from this plan. We went through so much to get here. We dug up my ancestors. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was silly and fun, but also uh, that actually really matters to me. That's not a joke. Right? And, yeah. And that's such a great like D and D player moment. Yeah. Where like a character who, a player who's really invested in their character would say something like that. Right. Like, Oh, yeah, we're having jokey jokes and having a good time. No, but in character, you guys, like, desecrated my ancestors. We need to follow through with our plan. Yeah, like, I was down for it, but, like, it has to mean something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not just down to do that, you know? So, I've seen two of the three other movies. So, I've seen three D&D movies total so far. 3D movies, (laughs) indies. And this feels like... The closest to playing through an actual D&D game that I've ever seen. Yeah, The first one, the one with Jeremy Irons, does not feel very D&D at all. Maybe no. little bits and pieces. The second one, the, I think it's called The Dragon War or something, or The War, the Wrath of the Dragon God, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They actually, like, put some D&D elements into it. They actually made like characters and stuff based on the characters. They statted them out. There's some silly moments. It kind of works. I've not seen the third one. Although we own it, it's very rare and hard to find. It was not released in America. It's based on the Book of Vile Darkness, which is a very controversial D&D book. I think it might be a problematic film, but I haven't watched it myself. I believe you can watch it on YouTube. Wow, that was a lot of information. But we also own a European copy that doesn't play on American DVD players. Okay. Because I'm a crazy person. But I don't know much about that one. I don't know if that one follows the source material very well. But I think we all agree that Honor Among Thieves really feels like a D&D movie. Yes, they did a great job of doing that. They even went as far as to put like iconic monsters in it. A lot of races making the world feel like diverse and populated with like people that are recognizable. Even the spells just like in combat. It's like, oh, that's shocking grasp. That's Misty Step. That's Big B's hand. Yeah. That's Meteor Swarm, right? Yeah. It's just like you can you could in theory just like run that combat in the session. That which just felt really cool. Yeah. yeah. So we started talking about the adventuring party of the movie. I think that leads us to 
the topic of found family. It absolutely does. Very prominent. A theme that runs through many D&D games. Yes. It's true. At least ours. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> It makes sense because we often play with found family. True. But also many adventuring parties in games are a group of people who come together under bizarre circumstances where these groups of people might not get along in certain circumstances. But through trials, tribulations, and triumphs, they become kind of like a family. Exactly. And so they actually go through a couple iterations in the movie of like creating a different type of family unit after the death of Edgen's wife. And he puts together an adventuring party because uh, he like leaves the Harpers. He's his a low point. He meets Holga. They eventually meet Simon and Forge. And they kind of like go out and like steal stuff from the, right. the rich to give it to themselves. They're getting by and getting along. And then they bring in Safina, who is, let's just say, a bad apple. Yeah. <laughs> because she does end up spoiling the whole bunch. Exactly. And they thought that it was just her that double-crossed them. Um, and Simon was actually able to get away. But Edgen and Holga were caught. Um, and when they get out, they reconnect with Simon. They find Doric. And, like, they create... A new family, like, it's rocky at first. They kind of just met each other. Well, Doric is a <laughs> tiefling. So, like Jack said, like a, a devil human. A, a human with horns and a tail who often get rejected by human societies. She is a druid. She is living amongst elves. People who are viewed as more open and accepting. She does not like humans. And... Holga and Edgen are humans. So she right. is immediately distrustful of them because she has been rejected by human society her whole life. Yeah. That's why she's moved out to the forest to live with the elves and like remove herself and become a guardian of nature. And then Forge is sending his human soldiers to come in and mow down the forests. So she has very little reason to trust these people, but she has a bit of feelings for Simon so she's willing to entertain this alliance because her and Simon dated once. Yeah. And it didn't go well because of Simon's lack of confidence. So everything is building nicely upon itself to tell the story of these characters. Hexus Ferngully once said greedy human beings will always lend a hand with the destruction of this worthless jungle land. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I didn't know his, his full name was Hexus Ferngully. Yes. <laughs> Boy, that blows my mind, given the fact that Ferngully is the name of the area, too, right? Yes. Now, to step back a moment, the whole reason that uh, Edgen and Holga were going into that vault with their old team before they got caught uh, was because, I mean... It was a big take. It was a huge horde, and so they all would have been rich, and, like, Kira didn't want them to go, and Edgen was telling her that it was, like, their last <laughs> heist. one more heist. And they could retire, and, like, he was trying to provide for her, but she was worried something about it would go wrong, and she was correct. Yeah, this um, kid's got a good insight check. He didn't tell her that he knew that the relic that could resurrect her mom was there because he was 
concerned that it could go wrong too. And so he didn't want to disappoint her. Yeah. Um, In his mind, he was taking a calculated risk. Right. And so one of the main driving forces were for him was to get that relic and resurrect her mother. And he was also trying to get it back when they go to confront Forge when he's becoming Lord of Neverwinter when they get out of jail. And that goes wrong for them, too. And, like, once they have this new team together and they've been traveling together for a while and they, like, are bonding and everything, things start to fall apart for them because they're still trying to go after this artifact and they don't know what Forge and Sophina are planning. And so they don't totally know what they're getting themselves into. And things go awry for them there, too. It eventually ends up working out. But it's like throughout the whole movie, chasing after this dream of bringing back his wife is getting himself and the other people that he cares about into danger over and over again um, and estranging him from his daughter. And he it, the sad part is like he doesn't realize that he has a lot of people in his life that are his family, that he could see his family. Right. And like that he cares about and that care about him. And partway through the movie, Zenk the Paladin points out to him, like, this is a D&D. We live in a world of gods and afterlifes. Like, your wife is probably in a wonderful place. You want to pull her out of, like, the divine realm. Heaven, basically. Like, literally yeah. heaven. And she, or he one of the heavens. Because like, in D&D lore, every god has its own heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And Zank says, like, she's been living her own life. It's been 12, 14 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, she's probably in Mount Celeste or Elysium. Yeah. It's canonical that those who go to Elysium do not want to leave Elysium. <laughs> so bringing her back is basically like doing a disservice. Because she's been gone years. Yeah. yeah. Now, I want to address something that I read about before I even saw this movie. And that is the idea that this film, that the main character, arguably, of this film, Edgin, is motivated by the death of a woman in his life. Mm -hmm. There's this term, this trope that we're very familiar with called fridging. Killing off a female character to motivate a male character. And I can definitely see why this movie could be accused of that. But I don't think it's quite that cut and dry. I think it, it's a bit reductive to yeah. call this an example of fridging. It's different than that. Because actually, if you pay attention to what happens in the story after his wife dies, he actually spirals downward it doesn't inspire him to become a hero no um it inspires him to become a thief which i think is well no a lateral move we, we this is what we're finding out in his backstory when he's talking to the council to try to get out of jail and actually he's like spiraling downward and just like drinking himself into oblivion while he has a baby to take true, care of true and it's not until he meets holga in one of the bars he's going to when she actually starts like helping him take care of Kira when she's a baby, that he starts to find a new lease on life. Yeah. The other thing is, like, Edgen is not a John Wick character who, like, uses the rage of his loss to push him towards, like, incredible heights. Edgen kind of is just a guy who comes up with plans and has other people... Execute them. Execute them. Like, he's not 
a fighter. He's not a warrior or a spellcaster. He's just kind of a guy with a loot who is good with people. Yeah, like when he was a member of his order back in the day, he had a sword. Now when they're fighting the big bad evil guy... He doesn't do anything. He hits her with a loot. Yeah. It's, that doesn't do very much. No. Yeah. Now, there, there is a sad, like, kind of realization that he has where we can view Edgin as a tragic figure in the literary sense where he reveals that the reason that the Red Wizards came and killed his wife was because he stole treasure from them while he was, like, executing a Harper plan and they were able to track it back. So his greed caused this. Now there is that's where the fridging thing comes in. We're like his behavior gets her killed, but he doesn't like go off and become this great hero because of it. Like Cass is saying, he spirals down. It's not until he meets Holga, his best friend, that he even gets his purpose back and is able to be a parent again. And just real quick, I want to point out that he and Holga see each other as, like, brother and sister, and we were happy that they didn't make it into a romantic thing. Yes. Yeah, I like that. They consider themselves Kira's parents. Yeah. Right. But Platonic parents. Platonic parents, which are great. And, uh, yeah, just about his character, he was a hero before she died. Right. Yes. And then he became kind of like a rogue and a ruffian. Like, he was... (laughs) He became a burnout initially. Yeah. yeah. He was working for no pay to make the world a better place. And, it, you know, it was really hard on him. Yeah. It didn't seem like he was getting any pressure from his wife no. on it. She, she was, was happy. Really supportive. They could only afford to, like, eat soup. <laughs> but he was stressed like out. like broth. Yeah. yeah. He was stressed, which is why he stole. He was trying to get them some extra money. Yeah. Right. Which is why, of course, this movie is a fantasy, because it's a class struggle. Right. Yes. That's right. This whole movie doesn't even try to hide the fact that it's a story about class. That's true. But there's one more point about found family that we need to talk about. Okay, we'll cue the class struggle music in a minute. (laughs) It's like record scratch right there. (laughs) So we talked about how Edgin is so focused on getting his wife back that he kind of neglects the relationships around him to an extent. To an, yeah. yeah, him and Holga still have a good They're tight, bond. they're tight. But, like, he pushes everybody to execute this plan because he's trying to get his wife back, and he puts all these people he cares about in danger because of it. Yeah, right. Um, so when Holga dies, that's when he realizes the value of those other relationships and what she meant to him. And that's when Kira is realizing that she cares more about bringing Holga back than her own mother because they have a relationship. Yeah, she's never known her mother. Yeah. Her, her biological mother. Yeah. Holga is her mother. Yes. That's right. There's a scene where the evil sorceress is disguised as Kira. That's right. And Chris Pine's character, Edgin, is apologizing And he says, like, I'm sorry this whole time I was trying to resurrect my wife, not your mother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's heartbreaking to find out that it's not really Kira in that moment. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because it was such a good apology. It was. And then he kind of jokes about it later, like, I apologize to the evil sorceress instead of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
He said, he was like, it's really good. I don't want to repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> Which was just hilarious. It's like, I passed my charisma check once. I'm not going to pass it again. That, just, that was like another moment of when, like, a, something a player might say. Because yeah, <laughs> out of game, all the players would have heard the speech. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Just That's funny. I didn't even think about that. Just that he had the insight of like, I'm doing this more for myself than you. Yeah. He kept framing it as for Kira's benefit. Yeah. Right. Kira has a mother. Yeah. She has a, a, a mother figure, a mom. Yeah. yeah. And Edgin realized he was actually just being selfish the yeah. whole time. And he, that's one of the big reasons why after he had that epiphany that you were talking about, Jack, that he and Kira decide to bring Holga back. Yeah. That's right. And he remembers the advice his own wife gave him with the dragonfly. Uh, yes. When they were both scared to trying to catch the dragonfly that got in the house, his wife said, uh, opened the window and she's like, stop trying to catch it. Just let it go. Yeah. And then in that scene, a dragonfly lands on his arm. He's like, oh, I got to let her go. That yeah. was a really good piece of symbolism that I noticed coming up. The second we saw that flashback and she's like, you got to let it go. I'm, I instantly saw the rest of the movie. In my <laughs> mind. Well, it's funny because like, Holga's dying from a Thayan blade, and like the whole time, I'm like, they've got the artifact, they're gonna resurrect her. I still cried. Yeah, it was yeah, still emotional. Yeah. Like really good. watching Holga letting go. Yeah, and she's funny too. Like they're singing. Oh. Michelle Rodriguez's delivery, though, she's like, she sees the dagger in her heart, and she's like, oh, that's not a good place for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, one I'm reason up why, right now. Yeah, yeah, why it was so emotional is because. She and Edgin were singing together the song oh, they always like God. to sing, and they had sung it together earlier when they were traveling on the road. And so it, it really means something to you because you know it's one they like to sing together a lot. Yeah, yes. and and it just was so heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heartbreaking, and it was really funny because when they're using the resurrection tablet, he says her full name. And her full name is Holga, like, Kilgore. Yeah. <laughs> the most, like, silly barbarian <laughs> yes, name. I love it's it. So, so good. But he, like, sort of, like, mumbles her last <laughs> name because it's a serious moment. I didn't moment. catch that. He's like, Holga Kilgore. <laughs> it's like, I know what you said. I know yeah. what you, you can't say it loud because it's a sad scene. But <laughs> it was really funny. And then, oh, what really made me cry in that scene was when she comes back and she's like, Oh, you didn't waste it on me, did you? Oh, yeah. She's oh, like, no. why would you do that? I didn't yeah. waste it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, she's the best. She is. God, hold Why would amazing. you do that? Yeah. Guys, we didn't do a uh, Swords and Satires Avengers last year, but Holga's our, our body. We'll bring it back. <laughs> we can do it for this year. We'll yeah. bring it back. I, but, but we just spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to compete with Holga. Yeah. Not going to be fucking Cole the Conqueror. <laughs> the, the Atlantean the pirate <laughs> but you know what's going to help us get to doing another uh, Swords and Satire Avengers episode what's that Cass tell us Cass it's our patrons oh those guys fucking rule yeah. by the nine we've got people who like to pay us to make this show that's true and they're good friends <laughs> they're all our best friends and if you want to become a best friend of our show, you can go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire 
and become a patron and help support us. That's right. And if you do, you'll get some fun bonus episodes, some cool art, especially duck art that Jack makes. I got to hop on that. Yeah. We need a D and duck. Duck and D. <gasps> Let's just say they flew away for the winter, but spring is coming. All right. Good to know. <laughs> And it's a great way to suggest movies that you want us to watch. Yeah, that's right. You can message us directly. And uh, yeah, if you are in a certain tier, you'd be a producer of the show and you can outright suggest movies that we'll cover. That's that's accurate. That's right. <laughs> um, so we're looking forward to making some new friends in that way. And, and uh, if you have the means... And you'd like to support this show, again, you could go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire. All right. So now that we've proven ourselves to be bald-faced capitalists, let's talk about class struggle. Sounds good. Finally. So we've got Edgen. He is our kind of protagonist. Him and Holga, I think, have about equal ground. But yeah. he's our face, like Jack said. This guy, he's a harper, he's a do-gooder, he is working to help people, can't make a dime to pay himself to take care of his family, eating broth, living in what I would say in the Bay Area would be a multi-million dollar uh, <laughs> shack, but you know. Jesus, that's too realistic. It was like this amazing cottage with a garden next to like our waterfall. Maybe a little rundown. <laughs> We're no property tax, probably. Yeah. I mean, maybe paying something to the Lord. I don't know how right. it works. Maybe as a harper, his like rent was covered or something. Yeah. I don't know how this stuff works. He's trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. And he doesn't see a dime in return. So he is pushed to do something risky, which is stealing a little something, skimming a little off the top, they say. It ends up coming back to bite him real bad on the butt. So maybe he's a little bit more chaotic good than lawful good. Oh, I would say absolutely. <laughs> he's a bard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in order edition of D&D... &D, wait, no. Could bards be... Bards shit. had to be chaotic, right? Neutral or good? Barbarians had to be chaotic. I think bards, too. I feel yeah. like bards in one edition had to be chaotic or had to be neutral on one of... No? That was monks. It's certainly not good for the income to have a chaotic alignment. True. So we've already got this story that, you know, people who are doing good for the world need some kind of like support system. We need some mutual aid to take care of people who are out there helping people out by like getting rid of these gosh darn necromancers who are trying to turn you into undead slaves. Yeah, you would hope they would have some of the best income. The do good, the do gooders Exactly. Instead, the fascist undead dictatorship of Faye, that Zaztam doesn't have to scrimp and scrounge to build up his undead army. And the lords in their castle, like Forge. Like Forge is just living fat off of the dime of the people of Neverwinter. You know, I heard Zaztam paid less taxes to the lord <laughs> in the last 10 year than my parents. <laughs> See, exactly. So, along the line, they meet Zenk, who is this lawful good paladin. He is able to support himself off of the goodwill of people. Mm -hmm. So he's got a better deal than uh, Edgen did. 
But he says that he will help Edgin because Edgin is going to promise to redistribute the wealth that he takes from the vault, from Forge's vault in Neverwinter. It's hard for him to make that vow. It's really hard for Edgin to make the vow. But... But he does. Zank, and Zank says, I think you're still a harper at heart, so I trust you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Zank says, I will not abide by the misuse of ill-begotten booty. <laughs> that's the name of my new album, by the way. <laughs> misbegotten yes. booty. Yes. And then he also says, when the vow is made to redistribute the wealth, you might not believe your words yet, but I do, right? Right. Oh, oh that's yeah, a good that line. Good. But so Forge has built this lavish life for himself off of deception, greed, and abuse of power. Cringe. Exactly. Yes. Also, taking the whole horde for himself that they had gotten back in the day that got Edgin and Holga arrested... Uh, didn't hurt either. No, that didn't hurt at all. But so he is hoarding this wealth and Forge actually has this plan to completely abandon Neverwinter for some, I don't know why he doesn't want to be Lord of a town. Oh no, I do know. Let me rephrase that. I'm remembering the movie that we just watched. He knows that Neverwinter is going to become bad place. A bad place <laughs> full of undead zombies who are beholden to the evil necromancer Zaztam. Yeah, Whoops. so he, so Fina has been acting like his advisor this whole time, but she's actually been the one in charge. But he kind of knows that. He's oh, he just does. Like, he's filling a ship with riches, getting ready to sail off into the sunset There's a and scene live lavish. Where he, they're interacting right before he's leaving. That's when you know he's known she was in charge the whole time. Oh, yeah. Because he says to her, like, oh, is there anything else you need me to do before I go? I'm, I'm just going to take off now. Yeah. <laughs> like, checking to see if she's going to try to stop him, kind right. of. And then she's like, get out of my city. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> There's even a scene earlier where he sees her with her hood down and her robes are red and he sees the tattoos on her head. He's Which like, are the signs of the red wizards of Thay. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're a red wizard of Thay. So, like... Should we get back to work or? Well, he's like, you should like put your disguise back on so nobody sees you like this. Yeah, he, he didn't. He's like, I already know you're evil. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter that you're that brand of you're evil. You're evil. Yeah. I'm evil. We're all evil. Yeah, exactly. He's like a classic narcissist. He wants people to love him and look up to him. And that's why he likes taking care of Kira so much. He's like, oh, yes. having a, I didn't realize being a father was so amazing. Having a child who looks up to you and sees you almost like a god, it, it's amazing. That <laughs> yeah. does complicate his character a little bit. He's a huge shitbag, but, like, you can kind of see his, like, good quality that he wants to take care of Kira, but then we find out that it's for bad reasons. Yeah. He says the line in the movie, like, ah, oh, you see, uh, I love that you see good in me. It makes me almost believe that it's there. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a good line. Yeah. So... When Safina is like bringing down her spell to necrify, that's my new word that I just created, a new verb I just made up. Nice. The town of Neverwinter, Edgin is like, oh, I know how we're going to get people out of the arena. And in doing so, he is forced to fulfill his promise to Zenk. They use their portal gun, I'm sorry, their rod of thither and thither to create a portal in a balloon yeah. with Forge's face in his mouth, 
to spew out the treasure from the ship that Forge was getting ready to abandon the town with and, like, basically just spilling gold over the town, blowing it, like, out of the arena where everybody's going to be necrotified. Another uh, <laughs> another uh, like adjective it. here. And so like they're it. effectively leading people out of danger. Yeah, they're leading them out of danger with the radical redistribution of wealth. Yes. Nice. Look at the messaging here. Yes. The good need to be paid more for their good service. We need to stop paying to all these evil fascist dictators and corporations and we redistribute wealth and it ends up being a benefit to all of us it gets us out of the dangerous situation the precarious situation that we are all stuck in by redistributing the wealth we lead people out of harm and into prosperity that's right come on it's Don't like be a dragon don't hoard the wealth thank you uh, this writes itself. Yeah, I mean, this movie is like just pure socialism, and it's beautiful. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I just have one more question for you. What's the question, Jamie? Is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves art? That's a good question, Jamie. <laughs> Thanks. I thought so too. You know, I say it is art. I mean, the best art imitates life and will inspire you to action. Great. And point. so, in that way, life imitates art. And this encapsulates so much of what is enjoyable about playing D&D with your friends. Yes. How we said before, how you can have these serious emotional moments and then have moments of like zany ridiculousness or yes. just wholesale slaughter. And um, to be fair, like that's kind of what life is. <laughs> Maybe not the wholesale, hopefully less the wholesale slaughter, but like better than retail slaughter. Hey, oh, <laughs> Even in, like, people's darkest moments, they find a way to, like, find some humor. Like, I mean, Gallo's humor keeps us going through tough times. And it's by having the, like, people you care about around you that makes life worth living. That's right. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely one of the strong pieces of this film, strong aspects that make it art, is definitely, like, it's funny, it's silly, it's sad, but in, like, a cathartic way yeah. that's really wholesome. And the movie as a whole, I think, really does revitalize that lust for life. Yeah. It does such a good job of making you, like, appreciate just being alive. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, for me, this movie has kind of reignited my love of seeing a movie that kind of crosses all these barriers, right? Like it's funny. It's sad. It's about community and bringing people together. And at the end of the day, it's about family. It's about family. It is. But like, did you guys hear Dom here for a second? Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was pretty stoked and that, he, that he showed up. Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, shit. oh my God. You're right. 
Great point. What if this movie is actually the Fast and the Furious characters playing a game of D&D? Oh, Who's shit. the DM? Because Dom's not the DM. Dom wants to play like a character in the game, Paul right? Paul Walker. And of <laughs> course, thinking, as yeah. we know, Vin Diesel, huge D&D fan. Yes. That's true. That's right. As seen by The Last Witch Hunter. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, the important thing that I think we often forget in our our Western ideal of, like, rugged individualism yes. is that human beings are social animals. We are, by the very design of nature, social beings. Says we, Jamie, the anthropologist. Says Jamie, the anthropologist. So I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Anybody who tells you I've done it all on my own with no help is... They're lying and or dumb, right? Because we... <laughs> That's so accurate. We live in a society, <laughs> which means you rely You're popping off. You rely on the people around you in so many ways to yeah. keep things going, to keep your cities going, to keep your power on, to keep the trash picked up. Like nobody just survives on their own. Yeah. We've got social systems around us. Every human exists in a society if you don't like live as a hermit off in the woods, which is really challenging. I know a hermit. I've probably talked about this. I met a hermit years ago who would come to town to like get supplies. And he was living off of somebody else's land who like let him live there. He came to my hardware store and bought supplies with money that his brother gave him and like money that was donated to him. Even somebody who is living off the grid is relying on the generosity of others to be able to live that life. That's right. And Hermit is a background in D&D. See? This all comes together perfectly. But we also can't survive without other people because our health starts to fail if we isolate from other people too exactly. much. Exactly. In more ways than one. Yeah. You know, the feature that your character gets for picking the Hermit background is they get to <laughs> learn... A secret about the universe. Oh. They get to do, they get to learn so, a, a hidden aspect of the world that most people don't get to know. It's from the shrooms. That's right. <laughs> they eat those shrooms in the cave, like that scene in the Green Knight. Nice. They throw right. up and they lose. They trip balls, <laughs> and they realize that we need community. Exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say that secret is we actually all need to come together and support each other. Awesome. So what I want all of you to do is go tell somebody that you love, that you love them, that they are an important part of your community, and that you would hunt down a relic to resurrect them. If, <laughs> yeah, they, if they were killed by a Thayan blade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's deep, Jamie. I try. No, I mean, this movie really did, like, make me feel good. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a classic. This is really funny because we've set this high bar for ourselves <laughs> in the beginning of the month. And in two weeks, we're going to be covering the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, did you say the Super Mario Brothers movie? Another story about family? Oh, shit. I think right. it's all there. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Mario is redistributing all those coins throughout the Mushroom Kingdom, man. 
Well, he's just a regular Mario this time. True. That's a good point. When are we going to get the mushroom democracy? Huh? <laughs> Great question. Well, yeah, I mean, that is the problem, right? The Super Mario story has always been like this idealization of the monarchy through this benevolent kind of foolish leader of Princess Peach who always manages to get captured by Bowser. And the one time she fights for herself... She uses her uncontrollable, strong emotions to fight people. Yeah, you know, that's a critique that people make of the Princess Peach game. It was I think really- that's, like, I understand it's a very gendered choice, but I'm also like, that's kind of like a cool superpower idea. It's silly and fun, and the game was actually really fun to play. Also, isn't that the one where, like, you find out about Princess Peach's vibrator? Yeah. Oh. My it is. God. I've never played this one. <laughs> I only know about it because of that. It's behind her throne. Yes. Okay. And like the dialogue in the game is literally like, your mom probably has one too. Holy shit. Like, wow, Nintendo. Okay. You translated that in English, huh? They used to be very prudish. Uh they oh, not in the days of their love hotels, they weren't. Well, I meant in the early days of Nintendo games. Yes. NES games. Yes. And SNES games. Well, you guys have convinced me. I'm looking forward to talking about that one now. Yeah, me too. I'm also looking forward to everybody tuning in next week to hear our skit for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun to record, and uh, you'll have to listen in next week to to hear it. The skits are just so fun. I listen back to them, and, you know, I'm going to listen to this one, too. (laughs) Yeah. And until then, if you need your Swords and Satire fix, you can always check us out on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Facebook, Instagram, and the Rotting Husk of Twitter. (laughs) And like we mentioned earlier, if you have a few extra bucks to throw our way, uh, for as little as $2 a month, you could become a supporter of the show, and we would really appreciate it. And you would do that by going to patreon.com slash swords and satire. That's right. But if you don't have those few extra bucks, I know being a harper doesn't make you a lot of money. True. Another great way you can help our show is by just heckin' telling people about it. That's right. We learned from this film that community is very important, and what's a better way to enjoy that community than by sharing with them some of your favorite art? It's silly, it's fun, it's wholesome. (laughs) And sometimes it makes you think. That's right. Since we don't advertise, you're just a, a little advocate out there in the world. That's sweet. Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crawl!